Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Laura. Great to be here. I'm excited about Absolutely. what's well, to come. For me, you are a person I'm really much looking up to when we're talking sales leadership, sales knowledge. I found you on LinkedIn. And when I started to follow, it's like, okay, so this guy is actually in the shoes of a sales leader at a startup. And he knows a shitload loads of things, how people are buying nowadays, especially when buying from a startup. It's like, all right. So Patrick Trumpy, Chief Sales Officer at Unique. Welcome. Could you give a quick intro to yourself, to the listeners? For sure. Thank you, Laura, for the intro. So yeah, I've been in sales for 10 years now, software, software sales. Started right off university. And guess what? Uh, as a Swiss person, I never wanted to do sales in my life before. I think almost no European thinks about that career as a perspective. Yeah, I got in while I was studying, actually. Uh, I sold insurances and financial, like financial products to uh, private clients. That's how I kind of, yeah, went into sales without knowing that it actually happened. Yeah, because it was it was quite it was quite a strange company. You know, it's uh, we arrived first time. Uh, I got hired way too quickly. I was like, huh? Uh, no VCB and nothing. So just thought, okay, that's that's a bit weird. Then I went there. We had two hours of lessons about financial products, and then we had this list, and they said, okay, write down all the people you know with the phone number, and I was like, well, what? Why? <laughs> So we did that. And after that, it, uh, they said, okay, now call them, book meetings. So we had to call them and book meetings. Mm -hmm. That's how my, I, that was luckily not cold calling. Huh? We, we had no, not, I mean, a little bit of training, but as, because it was people I knew, yeah. I trained basically on the job with people I knew. That's how I got into sales and uh, yeah, never, never quit. Uh, it's, it was a fun ride since, since then worked in a few Swiss tech scale-ups in Germany, UK, US, uh, usually from below 1 million to around 10, a bit above 10 million ARR. And that's what that has been my sweet spot so far. It was, it was a lot of fun, but also very tough at times, as, as you probably know as well. Yeah, I do. And especially that part, the tough part we're going to talk about, like, how do you set up the processes? How do you start selling? in the smaller team because nothing is set it's like my story is a little bit different because i was working at larger enterprises where they say oh so this is the playbook so these are the companies you're working with and here's the list and if you find some extra ones oh that's nice this is upsell but the rest is renewals <laughs> okay so it's a total different story where you are because well you have to define like more or less pave the road of your writing and the company is relying on you to do that so that's not easy that's true all right, so now you are at Unique. And uh, when did you join the company and at what stage and what were the processes that you were walking through within sales? I joined exactly two years ago. Company was two months old, was founded June 2021. We were, I don't know, 10 people, maybe a bit less. All uh, engineers, one salesperson back then had zero clients product was not released yet. Now you're thinking, wow, as a, and, and it's true as I said, joining as a sales leader without a release product is, uh, it's actually, it's kind of quite same as founding, right? It's a bit yeah. uh, similar, but the guys started uh, already quite before and I didn't, didn't bother much um, about that. It does help that you know how a enterprise sales process or buying process looks like not not just enterprise also mid-market or uh, sme how it looks like because the first time when i joined 10 years ago uh, there was starmind i joined as a sales rep and nobody told me patrick first meeting 
uh, is a discovery call. So you can, you know, you ask these questions and then you try to book a next meeting and then do a demo or whatever. I had no idea. I went into the meetings. We show usually it was physical meetings. We showed we had a we had a PowerPoint printed out, put it on the no. table, and then showed stuff like this. Yeah, we no computer. We had a PowerPoint printed out. That's how I did sales the first one and a half years, uh-huh. even though. Sold the software, and I had no clue. I did that for 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 one and a half for two years, and I think we lost so much. I mean, I don't want to know how how many potential clients I lost in that time because the way I did it was just not effective. Yeah. So it didn't help, right? We didn't have, but back then we there was just no one in in Switzerland really who could tell you how and because there was uh, there weren't many software companies out of that uh, country. Yeah. And it was a new emerging market and so on. So it definitely helps if you can come and join the company and say, okay, I have a vague idea how the process should look like, more or less. But then it helps even more if you yourself, you put yourself through the the process. That's why I'm still doing everything as well. I, I don't have much time for cold calling. That's right. But I do it, let's say, two hours a week just to know which pain points are still resonating a lot. So go through the process yourself and then you have to adjust certain things. You have to see what are patterns in the process that you can potentially build into into the sales process, not making it too rigid, Mm -hmm. but also having a guideline for salespeople. Because usually it was like that. I had a discovery call, then a demo. And most salespeople after the demo, they don't know what to do. They are like, Client now now they showed everything right they, they probably they showed everything that's most of the time the case, and then they are like okay what do I suppo- what do I suggest now huh what's the next meeting going to be uh, is it another discovery is it a demo do I have to invite more people that's usually a situation I I yeah. I, I, I had very often so I knew yeah. I need to have a guideline after that as well for my team that they know okay I suggest a workshop or I suggest an ROI meeting or something like this so. It, it helps the people to know, to prepare well for the calls and then suggest it in the demo before, even at the beginning, right? Yeah. No. Attract, hey, today is about, we discussed about some pain points of yours. Today we look in the solution. And if you think the solution is viable for the pain, then let's think about organizing a workshop to d- dive deeper. Is that okay no. with you? And if they give you a yes, then, you know, you're all, people need to know that. Yeah, and workshop thing was also one of the things where I reached out to you several months ago, where we discussed like, this is the next step that a lot of companies definitely say yes to, because if they're going to invest a lot of money into something, well, it better works. And a lot of people have to be involved in like adapting it, using it, and so on. So we are going to unpack that one 100%. But before we do that, there were some people saying hi to us that are listening to us live right now. So If you have any questions to Patrick or just want to say how cool he is, you can do that. Uh, But most of them, we would love to have questions so we could follow your interest as well about B2B sales. All righty. Good. Welcome, everybody. Nice that you're here. Yeah. Okay. So now you mentioned a little bit how you started at Unique and how you were selling with the PowerPoints. And then walk me through how did you figure out the changes themselves that you came to where you are right now? Because, well, it's all changing and it will be better next month again. But when did you figure out that what are the right things to do for our buyers to followers and to finally to start buying the product that started to exist? Yeah, a good question. Um, I think there are several sources. There were several sources in my life for this. The best thing that happened in my career was of the three years selling at Starmind with uh, printed PowerPoints, right? We had a we had a two sales like a two man sales um, uh, trainers, like two two sales trainers, who implemented a whole process for us in that company that fit the the buying and selling process uh, for for Starmind. That was the company I was before. That they had so much input, and so many ideas. So many concepts, uh, it, it helped me a lot to understand how that can look very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the sources I had. So external 
training. Uh, I mean, I read probably, I don't know, 50 to 60% of sales books uh, there are. So you get constant yeah. input, you try out, and if it works, you, uh, I implement, yeah. basically. Um, so the workshop concept, I didn't use it at Larry, the company I was before, CSO, because our deal size, uh, our average deal size was around 50K, uh, 40 to 50K. Didn't need it for this, mm -hmm. but when we moved for in, at Unique from the SME process to the enterprise process, I implemented it again. And I only had it because we already used it at Starmine. I would not have, I would not have had the idea myself. No way. I'm probably not. I would. Uh, I'm not the most creative guy and coming up with ideas all the time. Um, but yeah, a lot of input yeah. from from other people, mentors. I'm talking to a lot of friends uh, who are in the same situation. As I am in Switzerland, uh, Lars Mangelsdorf, the CCO from Yokoi, who grew it from zero to 300 uh, people, is like, one guy. I, I mean, I, can, uh, I, I learn yeah. a lot when I talk to these people. I think it's important to have these kind of mentors and people. Throughout that process, which of the met sales methodologies stuck with you that you think are worth adopting or at least looking into for B2B SaaS? B2B SaaS, um, you mean general B2B SaaS or enterprise specific or a... To start with, it's more general from your experience, what you tried out and what went. And then we're going to dig more deep into the SME versus enterprise differences. Yeah. Okay. One thing that I find important, um, obviously discovery calls, right? But that's too broad. But what's mm -hmm. important in discovery calls, what I often experience in the first five years is... Uh, you know, you teach people to ask questions and, and yes, they're curious, but then uh, they ask something like, okay, what, what's your challenge or uh, something like at the beginning of the meeting, that's a viable question, right? It's always the best question to ask, why are you here? And then most of the people say, just shopping or, hey, you sent me a cold email. Hey, that's why I'm here. Didn't think about it, any, anything, and then directly jump potentially into the product or they have a way to open discussion. Uh -huh. So when I ask, what are your challenges? The person, you know, I sell, maybe I sell sales tech and the person tells me, okay, I'm hiring the next best salesperson is my biggest challenge. And I'm selling a sales tech that has nothing to do with hiring. So I talked, they, they talked five minutes, minutes about something that is really not anything that I would want to talk about. So what I suggest is at the beginning, um, yes, discovery call, but come up with three of the biggest challenges you know in that industry. So when I'm talking to a bank, I have like the three biggest challenges that we have with other banks and we solve with other banks. I show these and then I ask which one is the most important one for you at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then I dive into that. So don't have a too open conversation. Too open is time waste for, for everybody. You can still ask at some point, or you have to ask, is this uh, strategically important? But most of the time, strategic stuff you can look up uh, on the website. Um, it's it's right there, and you can kind of connect it to something that is uh, strategically important. Um, so I think that's a really, and you need it in cold calls as well. Yeah. So in cold calls, it's exactly the same, right? I I call them and and I say, look, I'm talking to a lot of sales readers who tell me they have exactly these two challenges. First one. The reps, after every single interaction with their customers, they have to take a note in the CRM um, what they talked about, what they recommended. And that's with most of the banks, you know, regulatory requirement as well. So it takes them 20 minutes to do. And yeah, it, is that something you're familiar with? And bam, you're into a discussion. So I only said one hour, obviously I can say a second one. And with the cold call, it's the same, right? You, you try to bring them on the topic that you know you're good at. Yeah. Don't be too open. Do discovery. Don't be too open. Narrow it down and, and show your understanding of uh, of these uh, of the challenges that you can can solve. That's a big one. I think I realized <laughs> it's it's absolutely massive and and it comes with experience as well. So the more you dig into those calls and figure out, okay, this was an awkward conversation because we spoke so broad stuff that I cannot use for anything to move this further. Yeah. So now look at the product. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I did thousands of times myself, yeah. honestly. Exactly. So that that ha that happens for a lot of people for whoever the best of us. Now look at the product. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Yes. So what do you think the next step should be then? 
now you saw it it's beautiful it's like yes i love this it's like okay we'll get back to you very cool um yes okay so there's one question that I will pop up right now before we dig into a little bit of the differences between SMEs and enterprises as well. So it's still back to the methodologies. And you do speak about Medic and MedPIC. So, hey, Patrick, how efficient, in your opinion, is the Medic qualification of opportunities and discoveries? Yeah, so not sure what's uh, meant by efficient, but I do think, I mean, I'm a strong believer in it's good to have some kind of methodology in your head that you constantly think about when before talking to a client, when like you look at the opportunity and you're like, what else can I do with this opportunity? So in the back of your mind, you need a concept that helps you to, to direct your thoughts. Okay, metric. Do I have a business case with that client? I mean, identify pain and metric is the same. I it doesn't have to be medic. Obviously, you can you have to adjust or you can adjust it to your buying process. I did write a, a quite an article about medic and spin yeah. and bond and so on. Um, and my my learning was uh, out of learning and reading everything about these methodologies is there's a lot of that there are some common common topics in these. And I, when you look at the four most important ones, I mean the first one is obvious, right? The, the pain. A challenge, a metric, business case, something, there needs to be something that is worth talking about for the client uh, that builds the urgency, compelling event, you know, it's, you can use biased methodology, problem impact com uh, uh, and compelling event, that together is, for me, that can be one thing, but you have to understand um, that the problem and the impact of the problem and you have to in the enterprise and that's the difference in enterprise and SME in enterprise you have to quantify it if you sell 20k deals you don't have to have a quantifiable business case the lower the deals go the more emotions decide the higher the deals go the more numbers decide yeah. because the more people are involved the less you can sell on emotions yes there's always people always decide emotionally that's for sure but if you see a big number that makes you feel about it right if you see like oh we lose 10 millions a year oh obviously it's an emotion afterwards but so you need numbers in the enterprise game uh in the sme uh, game you don't necessarily need big business cases i mean i never bought i didn't buy salesforce or or uh, or all these tools because we had a business case um so that's one thing. There's always some kind of pain. Then you always then you know, okay, people. People is important. Who is involved? Like economic buyer, champion, uh, these kind of personas yeah. that are in there. So you need to understand something about this. So you you have in the back of your mind, you can always think, okay, do I know the economic buyer? Do I know the champion? Do I have a champion? What does make a good champion? Selfish interest access to uh, economic buyer do they help me really and do they only push myself that's something you should figure out with uh, with a champion for instance so you need to kind of understand the, the what, what the people and their roles are in the deal so problem like the pain impact and the people process also you always need to kind of understand the process ideally like what are the steps to be taken until the decision is made do we have to go to the executive board do we have to do that that blah 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 um so these, I think these three are probably the most important ones. Yeah. Um, if you have these three uh, in in your in the back of your head and and keep working on on them, um, you are on track. And then you have like you know competition, for instance, is always a good example. Do you have to think of competition? Yes, you have. But for some, it's quite important. For others, it's like we don't really have them. Uh, that 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 much of competition now anymore in the Swiss market in banks, but we do have competition in the UK, yeah. for instance, because the markets differ. So in Switzerland, competition is not that important. In the UK, competition is important and to know early whether they talk to competition. Yeah. With inbound, competition is way more important mm -hmm. because inbound people, most of the time, they figured out the problem already. They're probably looking around. They are further in the sales process, in the, in the buying process. Uh, outbound with a new topic. I mean, nobody thought about having a solution like ours in the banking industry so far. So we are always the first. It, that's not that important. So that's what you have to 
to figure out uh, for yourself. Um, uh, we actually, one last point to that, we work uh, internally, we do 5P, re 5P reviews mm -hmm. with the whole team. So the whole team comes together. It's actually right after this meeting. And today I'm presenting a case. So I'm presenting a, a case that with, a, with an opportunity that is quite far ahead. And I, I present the pain, I present the uh, people that are involved, I present power, where is the mm -hmm. power, I present the process the internal one and the process, the external one. That's the 5P framework. Um, I had no idea where I learned it from. Um, and it's quite cool as a team, I suggest that you do these reviews like this. So people present something uh, and everybody's in there and everybody says, hey, have you thought of that, Patrick? Have you asked this question? Have you done this? And, I'm, and, and usually you're like, oh no, I haven't. And then you get out with quite some tasks uh, that yeah. you need to do. And that's quite helpful uh, as a team. Absolutely love that. And to unpack this one, uh, we sat down the other day with our CEO as well to things like, oh, we need to refine our playbook. How do we need to do things and so on? And what we like came up with in message for everybody, we're not, it doesn't really matter which framework you're using as long as you're using one. So is it MethPick? Is it Spin? It's more or less potato potato it goes around the same thing but as long as you figure out those five p's that you're talking about it's still the same it's just like you would have to know which questions to ask at each and to uncover each and every p in the process as well and i i That's love right, that yeah. the idea of uh, peer meetings together because well you're a sales leader and you're still working on deals but you're a more or less a lonely mind who brings in other people into meetings, but you're the only one strategizing around the deal while you're alone. But if you bring it to a meeting with other people, no matter the seniority of the salespeople, they have different ideas or either they can learn from the process that you're doing, or they can come up with different ideas that, that you haven't thought of or something to uncover. I love that. We, we do that a lot at Dream Data as well. Yes. Yeah. No, that's the, uh, I agree. So the framework, you do have to understand where it's coming from. That's for sure. So that you can ad adopt it. I mean, using medic for an SME, uh, motion. Pff, no, I don't think that's, that's useful spin more so because spin is quite focused on one meeting, um, where you in one meeting, you try to go through the whole spin methodology. So it doesn't really help you qualify throughout the process. It's one meeting usually. Uh, the way I learned it, Bant. Bant is a, is, a, is, a, is a famous one coming up all the time. Right? Bant is, has been invented by IBM in the 50s or 60s or not, not, no idea when exactly. Uh, and it was to, to filter out bad inbound yeah. uh, leads. And you can't you spawned very well if you outbound and then go into first meeting and you're like, okay, do you have, I mean, do you have budget? Uh, you, reach you have authority. <laughs> How, for what? Exactly. Now Tom Boston <laughs> is really work. good at those jokes and on LinkedIn. Yeah. I love that a lot. True. Yes. True. True. Let's uncover the SME and enterprise world. So now you're mentioning that there are some methodologies that definitely don't work for enterprises. So since you moved away from selling to SMEs now to enterprises, what did you choose to remove out of your processes, what you were used to use, and what did you add in? I mean, mostly we were adding stuff because it's getting longer and, uh, and more uh, tedious. Um, the, as I said, the business case, definitely like having before we had usually an ROI or a, a meeting where we deep dived into the, into the use cases a bit more. There was one meeting, one hour with, uh, with the champion and ideally the economic buyer, uh, moved that out and we moved in the workshop, uh, which usually takes like three hours mm -hmm. and we have. I mean, two days ago, we had one with uh, one of the biggest Swiss banks, there were like 13 people in the meeting, three hours. We figured out together what are the two most important use cases for that company right now, for these all these people who were there. We prioritized this. So, I mean, there were maybe 50 use cases on the wall. We prioritized it to two. Then we figured out what is the impact if we solve them. So we walked 
with a, with a business case and we knew exactly what people for these two use cases are the people for us to continue the discussion and then finally get budget because the business business case is is uh, quite strong and that's what we added so we added that uh, step which usually is the third step uh, in the process but obviously enterprise says it doesn't always uh, happen right you have a discovery a demo and then that person maybe is not strong enough in the organization to organize a workshop with 10 people maybe mm -hmm. you need to win a few more before that's all right and you do more demo discovery like a one hour meeting where you do disco and demo together in one meeting um, <clears throat> and to win and, and until you have a, a workshop some companies you know sometimes it happens they say look uh, data protection wise that's too critical i need to ask somebody from data protection yeah. first before we can even move on so you have this then you have the workshop um and then we have a decision not a it's a decision meeting or a proposal meeting where we invite the economic buyer with the results of the workshop the business case and the concrete pricing for the two use cases so they know exactly okay now i have to pay this i get this in the first year uh, this is the timeline mm -hmm. and that you get quite quickly to a decision like this um obviously afterwards okay the executive board member likely needs to also present it into the executive board because you prepared everything because you have the business case you have exactly what you want to do you showed this how the solution looks like exactly for their case it's quite simple they just take your slide deck and sell it in the executive board because that you you won't manage to get in there uh, right i tried thousands of times uh didn't work <laughs> i asked thousands of times hey can i come as well at the uh, most uh, most of the time no way sometimes you get a 10 minute um i did get a 10 minute uh, slot sometimes but very very rare so and then you know in our case what then starts is the data protection security because oh. uh, we are recording real client conversations from swiss banks i mean swiss banks are the you know the bank secu secrecy law and so on so there's really really i mean because of the history of switzerland it's the most critical data yeah. i guess even not in the world i mean this the, the cia probably has more critical data or the police or i don't know but uh, it's quite uh, it's quite tedious to get through yeah. the paper and data protection security so that's added as well uh, afterwards business case and this most important aspect is business case in this one i already said sme it was not a critical uh, point but now no business case no deal yeah very interesting and how long is the customer journey for your enterprise clients right now uh, we have so the in the actually to get to a verbal decision like to get to a yes it's usually three to four months mm -hmm. and then starts the security process and we really had security process up to seven months oh. so you talk to data protection you talk to security you talk to architecture then you find out okay do we do a multi-tenant do we do a same whatever like technical stuff uh you reframe the pricing because they want the higher security level mm -hmm. which you didn't think and so on so it's very i mean it's long it's uh it, especially the second part we need to find ways how to shorten yeah. this is probably also because at first we didn't have uh, 10 banks who already work with us it's getting more now because we have the most data critical banks uh, nice. in our portfolio which is really really good uh, two days ago when i was at that other bank i mentioned that this other bank is a client and then the the cio said okay i mean if they are your clients it's not going to be an issue with us don't worry nice. so oh, that's nice but it's not like this at the beginning at the beginning it no. was a lot of work for our data security team and it was crazy yeah but i think we are yeah we, we get it shorter and shorter but it is still like nine nine months around yeah nine months. yeah that's a lot but yeah. I mean, as long as the deal size is also of that caliber then it's worth going through yeah i mean we have, we have a quite wide range uh, between 100k to 500k now initial deal the, mm -hmm. like the first year uh, and i think we can bring them up to i don't know 1.5 to 3 million uh, yeah the, very cool but that's where we are 
Um, for the listeners out there, if you've got any questions to Patrick, just kick them in here. We're going to uncover them. I have a fun question for you, Patrick, and you'll have to tell us why. So what would you choose? Five inbound leads or five outbound leads to work on? <laughs> personally or my team? Personally. You get so personally, five inbound you know, I, I personally, I have to take outbound because I, in my whole career as an individual rep, I got, I'm counting it, seven inbound leads, 10 years, seven inbound leads. So I don't really know how to do that Okay. Okay. personally, personally. That's why personally I would take the outbound. But if I'd have to, if, the, if I give them to the team, I'd say inbound because, um, they are further in the process. And I, I mean, I have to take averages, right? In Bali, it's uh, usually on average, it's easier. The win rate is higher um, yeah. because of the maturity of the of the leads. So for a team, I would say inbound. But because of my incapability to, to handle inbound leads, I would say outbound. Very interesting. Yeah, for the time, like to close them, it's kind of nicer. But what people usually would answer as well is like when you choose... Outbound leads, you know what you're choosing because you have qualified them. You have brought them in. It's like you would know, is this a deal worth working on and the size of it more or less. But what comes inbound, it's, well, it's qualified, but how big is it? It's like, it's a black box. <laughs> it's like... That's true. That's true, yeah. That's certainly the case. And uh, I mean, I like like outbound also because of the time the one who initiates the team uh yeah that's also quite quite nice but that's not the only way actually i know but i think i could be wrong but i think if we would google and see whether on average inbound leads are like what's the win rate on average for inbound leads and the win rate for outbound leads i almost certainly say inbound leads and as a CSO, you have to be a mathematician, uh, which means you've got to, you know, take the best. Uh, and that's why I would probably. I love the comment. Inbound is like Tinder and outbound is like approaching in the bar. It's like you go targeted, you know, you need to get. That's true. That's a good <laughs> one. Cool. All right. Um, Never thought about this. What no, very good one. Yeah. You can use it on LinkedIn the next time. Just remember to give the, give the credit. Um, Patrick. I, I think the part about running a workshop for your clients is very, very interesting. And, and that is kind of, you spoke about the process that people usually are just lost. I did the discovery, did the demos, like, what's next? Do you want to buy now or should we start security? And nobody's like, oh, we're not dating yet. Come on. So can you walk us through a little bit about the process of workshop? How was it born and what you're doing with it? How was it born? Um, so yeah, there was actually these, uh, these sales trainers uh, seven years ago who said, we need to implement a, a value workshop. And that's where I tried it the first time. Uh, the reason was we lost most of the deals after two meetings, like, or one meeting, if, you know, we did demo in the first meeting, which happened quite a lot eight years ago. Uh, so after one or two meetings, we usually radio silence, right? So we needed a, we needed a step and it was uh, quite tough for the company uh, back then. The biggest issue is that we didn't have a very, very well-defined ICP. So there were hundreds of problems that we solved for hundreds of people in, in hundreds of industries. So I sold to CIO of, uh, of an automotive company. I sold to the CEO of a pharma company. I sold to the CTO of a, um, of a, public, uh, of a, of a tech company. I sold to whatever. I had so many, so many different personas. And it was really, really hard to learn that. It was just, uh, it was impossible. I mean, that's also the reason um, I think the scaling at some point came to a halt because the ICP it's not well defined and the product didn't develop for an ICP. And that's, that was also a reason why we uh, implemented these workshops back then. And it worked really well. It worked. We actually charged 
for the workshops, um, cool. like between two or 5,000 mm -hmm. uh, a day. We said, hey, after the first half of the day, if you're not happy, we go home and you get the money back. Um, and we try to cover the whole thing, like the, the, the value, but then also data protection, security, and so on, uh, everything on one day. Um, potentially go back to this at some point. But we, I, I, I put it in a smaller version uh, of this. I put in the just the value part. Mm -hmm. So the first part uh, of the agenda, I mean, after the introduction, uh, the second agenda point is demo uh, and demo the, the parts you know from the discovery mm -hmm. um, that are important, right? You show the best feature first. Uh, and, and then in the workshop, that's quite cool for most salespeople, I'm sure. You can, you can, it's a time where you can actually demo many features. Also those that you're not exactly sure whether they are valuable, but you can demo a bit more because afterwards uh, you let people write on pieces of paper what use cases they mm -hmm. think are most valuable for their company. So they do that for 15 minutes. And then everybody uh, is, is going to the front and explains, okay, I choose this use case because of that, that, that. Then you ask questions. And um, after one hour, you have a wall full of mm -hmm. use cases. You have to group them. After you group them uh, in a 10-minute break, you give three little dots to everybody who participates and they take those little dots and put it on the use case they think is the best from the ones yeah. who are uh, that which are uh, which are on the white uh, on the wall and so you will get out with like uh, yeah a priority first second so you choose maybe the first and the second and then you start to disco in these two you ask what is the impact if we help you with this? What are the KPIs you yeah. measure, the improvement of this? Um, what happens if we don't do anything? Um, and so on. So you ask, uh, you go deep and you find the business case for this. Uh, like how many calls do you have? How long does it take you to summarize after every call? How many uh, people um, and so on. So in, in the end, you have a, a business yeah. case and you walk out with the business case. After the business case, usually the meeting, like a quick feedback round, um, and then that's it. That's three hours. It sounds amazing for the seller's perspective, like, oh, how cool would be to have this deep of a discovery with a client in one place. But how do you manage to agree with a client that this is something valuable for you and even get them to pay for it, even though they can get the money back and stuff, but they're committing their time, their money, they're helping you to sell to them. So what happens in the process that they are so committed to go here? Um, so, I mean, we don't charge at the moment. We don't charge money. Uh, the reason is, quite simple we don't have we didn't lose a single opportunity that we did a workshop mm -hmm. with yet if you had a lot of kind of benefiting from the workshop and then uh, disappearing that would mean you should charge because the commitment is not big enough but as you said it's quite a big commitment how do you get that commitment uh, early on in the process and you know the answer is actually quite simple I mean if you do a good discovery and a good demo and you can show within five minutes of your demo that wow, mm -hmm. this can this can really solve something uh, that that problem we have. I'm sure I know we are a bit lucky at unique to be honest because the problem we solve is unique. Big. It's easily quantifiable. Yeah. Uh, everybody has it. Nobody has it solved. The solution is also it is critical, you know. Not uh, yeah. we we won't win uh, everybody. We, we talked about it in regards to data and security. Um, it's a big, big way to go still, but the the, the pain is there. So reach out to the right person, uh, like get their agreement on the pains that you solve with the strategy that I said at the beginning of this discussion, and uh, then show a good solution to the problem and suggest it you have to suggest it with front up contract you have if you suggest it it's it's half halfway yeah. done because at the end of the demo it's it's quite simple you can you can say something like 
you know, I know what usually, what most of the clients want to do at this point in time is they want to discuss internally and see what use case fit yeah. best, right? We talked about, let's say, 10 use cases now. I showed you the most important ones, but a, but a few more. And I'm sure in your head, you're like, hmm, what is best now for my company? I have a suggestion. Mm -hmm. So what we did with most of the banks before you, we did a workshop, sat together for three hours with people from the business who are having that problem we talked about every single yeah. day because they know whether it's really a problem. And we want to know, we want to understand whether it's really a problem. At this stage, we talked about it, but 100% sure we are not. So let's bring people together. Let's take three hours and uh, let's see. You will walk out of, the, uh, of this meeting with people knowing what can be done with generative AI, people having two use cases that is really an, a, a priority and we know whether the business uh, whether the business case is worth actually going yeah. moving forward. Do you think that makes sense? And then it makes sense. Uh, Patrick, for most... do you think it would work if you were selling a more general call recording solution, not for banks, like where there's a lot more competition? Do you think the prospects would be open to do it? Or is it different? It's probably different because I think lots of competition, but also the market is more, uh, it's more like the SME market. Um, um, so you have to figure out whether it's, it makes sense, you know, for 20K deal to, um, to do a, a workshop. But it could be the differentiating factor because, uh -huh. you know, if you suggest it. And honestly, when I bought stuff, Sometimes I, I probably would have said yes if somebody would have suggested it to have a workshop with my sales team. Maybe not yeah. three hours, could be two hours. You could make it shorter for sure. And um, in the end, you walk out with the use cases you can solve best, mm -hmm. which is quite good. It will give you the edge versus the competition, right? Um, right. Hopefully. And so, yeah, maybe it 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 could work as well, but. Sometimes speed is speed is relevant, still has to be fast. I mean, in our case, speed is relevant for us, but for our mm -hmm. clients, uh, unfortunately, still not, right? It's uh, in enterprise, there's only speed end of the year <laughs> and regulatory, a new regulatory law uh, requirement, a law yeah. that they have to fulfill within the next two months. That's when they speed. But other than that, uh, not even for a 10 billion business case uh, they uh, yeah no. No. very interesting okay um are there any other questions online that you would like us to answer patrick another question before anybody asks another question people like to throw stuff at sales that something is dead like, like cold calling is dead. Cold emailing is dead. I don't know. In-person events are dead or something else is. <laughs> is there anything that you dropped and you think, oh, it's absolutely dead in the sales process? Poof, good one. I, yeah, I do think it's mostly used because it's catchy, isn't it? And yeah. everybody's going to read that <laughs> it's dead kind of thingy. <laughs> So not sure. No. Uh, not even Bant is dead, right? Bant is still uh, still viable in some some areas. So even that, yeah, I don't know. And and even the first things that would come to mind is kind of yeah, maybe mass emailing. But no, no, it still it still works in in some yeah. areas. I mean, Europe way more so than the US. That's what I learned when I sold in the US versus Europe. I mean, uh, you guys. I mean. It's crazy there. It's crazy. You have to do two more, 20 more dials than here. You have to mm -hmm. send out and, you know, that doesn't make it even, that makes it even worse for everybody else as well. If it's a, a, no data protection. So, uh, so in Europe, you know, you can still yeah. send out email. It still works. I think uh, pretty sure mm -hmm. if you have a good challenge to solve. When I worked at the company before, we had a persona that nobody else was selling to. Mm -hmm. So I sent, I honest, I did in 2019. Okay, that's now four years ago. Okay, you could argue maybe it's not the same again here now, but I sent out a generic email to 122 people and I booked a meeting with 20.2% or something. Like with 23. Um, 
No. Uh, 40, 40, 41 people or something like this. So it's still possible. Oh. Uh, was, well, you know, lucky persona. I don't think it works with sales leaders from tech companies <laughs> because they are quite, <laughs> but you know, you find somebody. I don't know if something is dead. I don't think, no, no. I don't, yeah, I think you can make everything work for yourself. You can send a letter, you can send a gift, you can send outbound and physical is not dead for sure not. Yeah. No. I agree. I okay. agree. It depends on how you spin it in and which environment you use it for, which persona, which companies, and so on. So nothing is that so far. But if you would like to be popular in LinkedIn, use the word and you'll see how it flies. <laughs> Next thing that came to mind is uh, selling without discovery. But even that works sometimes. It doesn't really matter. Depends on what you're selling. It's like... It does. Very cool. It does. Okay, it doesn't seem like we've got any more questions. So, Patrick, I would like to thank you very much. Oh, there is a question. Look, Olena has asked a question. So we can just answer that one and then we can start wrapping it up. So do you have any suggestions on how to communicate with leads on LinkedIn to make them interested in what you sell? Should it be general or long conversations? Oh, you're the perfect person to ask. What I like, I mean, the, uh, I get a, LinkedIn is probably, I don't get much, but I don't get uh, cold calls from the yeah. UK, a few, uh, maybe five per month. Uh, emails, yeah, maybe three, four a day. But LinkedIn is, uh, is the most, I mean, for my persona, I can, I can tell you LinkedIn is the most overcrowded. So it's the yeah. hardest, I guess, also to, well, to stand out, I'd say, but but if you do it a little bit different, you stand out. So what I, I mean, use the app for sure. And in the app, you can send voice messages. I always listen to the voice messages. Uh -huh. That's for sure. You can even send a quick video message uh, on the app. I'd always listen to the video message. And when you do that, keep saying, start with the problem that you that you solve. Uh, that's where if I don't hear a problem, um, because it, it allows me also, it does allow me to say quickly no as well, if I don't have mm -hmm. the problem, but that's good for you too. You need to understand that when you have, if you sell me a leads generation services, uh, I don't need it. We don't have a problem to generate this. It's not our yeah. problem. You know, somebody approached me with a, with a video actually. And he said, look, sometimes data, data protection, and security uh, processes take a long time. And, uh, and it was exactly my problem. So I booked a mm -hmm. meeting with the I mean, guy and we are still talking actually tomorrow uh, again. So that works. So talk about the problem and not about the product. It's really hard to do. I yeah. see it so hard people don't understand the difference between talking about the solution and the problem talk about the problem so when i reach out i always say what i just said before in the cold i, I, I talk exactly like i would talk in the first 30 seconds of a cold call look i'm talking to a lot of sales leaders in big banks in switzerland and they tell me they have one big challenge and the challenge is that their advisors after every single interaction they need to document the calls it takes them around 20 to 30 minutes and are you familiar with this as well? And there you can, then that's the first 20 seconds. And then uh, in, a, in a LinkedIn voice message, say quickly how and how you solve it. And then uh, you will get it. And you will get it with leads that are worth something. That's why you need to do this. I love that. And it's a little bit similar to even to LinkedIn posting. Like as long as you don't talk about yourself or your company, but about the problems that you're trying to solve. It's so much easier to attract people to listen to you because nobody cares about like you or your company. Okay, unique. Okay, dream data. We solve enterprise solutions. I don't care. It's like, <laughs> tell me what my problem is and then I'll care much more. <laughs> That's exactly. for sure. And, exactly. and I don't even think that it matters. Is it like a templated message or a long conversation? If you have a very targeted list, of companies you're reaching out to on LinkedIn with a general template of what problems you're seeing, just like Patrick is saying, like, oh, we see that summarizing a meeting is a big problem for those types of banks. Do you see that? It's a template. It's not personalized, but it's so very targeted. It works. Exactly. 
Yeah, personalization is. Uh, I think Yuri uh, is doing that well on LinkedIn. Keeps saying that that relevancy is more important than personalization, and it's okay. really the case. I mean, if you start with, "Hey, Patrick." Uh, I've seen that you uh, have been CSO at uh, Unique for the last two years. That's not really, I mean, okay, you can do it, but uh, I would care less uh, except uh, compared to something, saying something like really relevant. I do think though that um, something very personalized, it, it, it makes me read further. Mm. If it's really like, hey, look, you uh, posted something two days ago about blah, blah, blah. It really yeah. helped me in this deal. Thank you. Something like this, of course, works really yeah. well. Yeah. But not everybody's posting. So you don't find that much data on no. people to keep personalizing that. And well. don't make it weird, like going into, oh, two weeks ago on Instagram, I saw that you went to that specific coffee shop. And well, so it seems like you like coffee. Uh, do you want to learn about attribution? <laughs> 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 exactly yeah. they're nothing connected to yeah exactly. yeah perfect all right everybody patrick thank you so much for the hour of your time everybody who has been listening thank you so much whenever you have questions to patrick patrick where can people find you on linkedin obviously mm. best place <laughs> uh you only find so if you put in patrick trumpy with uh, you umlaut i have no idea there's no other person who's called like this on LinkedIn. So you have to find me if you. But you in. have to find the umlaut then in you your. Have to find the umlaut. <laughs> That's right. I'm not sure if, I mean, the LinkedIn search is obviously programmed that you have to know exactly the name. I'm not sure if it works actually for you. It if works. You don't use the umlaut. It does? Uh huh. It does. It does. Yeah, it does. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm Swiss. I obviously sure. used to. But you're pretty <laughs> unique, no matter what. So find Patrick <laughs> on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, everybody. Catch up with you on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Bye bye. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.